0: As Rob just mentioned, what a great opportunity to sing the psalms uh, in corporate worship. If you would, uh, join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. We're going to begin not by looking at psalm 35 we're not even going to begin with the old testament rather we're going to begin with the new testament because you see even though psalm 35 on its own is a treasure for us on this side of the cross it becomes even more magnificent more beautiful as seen through the lens of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I would like uh, you to turn actually to the end of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Um, After Jesus' resurrection, He spent time with some on the road to Emmaus, and then He spent time with His disciples. And beginning in verse 44 of Luke 24, this is what we read. Then He, that is Jesus, spoke to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Let's pray and ask indeed the Lord to open our minds to understand. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do long to understand Your Word. We long not only to understand it with our minds, but to embrace it with our hearts and to put it into practice through our tongues, through our hands, through our feet. O oh God, be pleased to illuminate Your word, give us understanding, give us wisdom to know how to put it into practice. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we just spent a moment listening to Jesus' words after his resurrection. I want us to go now to hear some words of Jesus on the night that he was betrayed the night when he was betrayed. And so if you would flip over to John 15. John 15. Beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. Well, with that one statement, Jesus brings all of Psalm 35, to bear on his life and ministry. And so to be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we need now to turn to Psalm 35. Remember last week, Psalm 34 looked back to deliverance. We see that in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now interestingly the next psalm, Psalm 35, actually looks ahead and forward to deliverance. And in doing so it teaches us what to do while we're waiting. In particular it teaches us to pray. To pray. Now before we get into Psalm 35, uh, we just sang the, the last third of Psalm 35, and you might have been curious. Uh, you heard some statements, some requests for God to, to defend his faithful servant, but not just to defend his faithful servant, but to actually go after the wicked go after the ones troubling him. The, psalm 35 uh, is a psalm of lament, and it can be categorized as what some of you may have heard as an imprecatory psalm. An imprecation meaning a curse, an imprecatory psalm being a prayer for God's judgment on his enemies. Now, we're going to see more of these psalms. I think we've seen one already, uh, Psalm 9, a couple of years, a couple summers ago. Uh, but we're going to um, I need to just orient ourselves just for a moment or two on why would this be in God's Word? Now, an imprecatory psalm is a type of lament, and and lament psalms are individual cries to the Lord or corporate cries to the Lord. Um, Many psalms call on God to help the faithful who are threatened, threatened with harm by enemies. Now, here are four things I think it's important to remember as we think about what we're going to hear. First of all, uh, these are not enemies over trivial matters. You know, this is not political enemies on two different views of how to appropriate the Constitution of the United States. This, these are not trivial matters. These are people who hate the faithful precisely because of their faith. And you'll notice that these curses are in poetic form, and therefore they can employ extravagant and vigorous language. It's to be sure, there's a reality behind the words. But, but just keep in mind the poetic nature. These curses are expressions of moral indignation, not of personal vengeance. Because you see, the Old Testament ethical system, and indeed the New Testament, forbids personal revenge. Revenge. See, this psalm is a call for God's justice to be made known. For good and evil to be rightly identified and rightly dealt with. Praying for God to punish the wicked is neither unloving nor vindictive, but rather it's an expression of faith in Him who judges justly, as Peter makes it clear in his first letter. Finally, imprecatory psalms are not a call to arms, as in physical arms, but rather they are a call to spiritual arms. It's a call to faith. Let's look at the first three verses. Uh, This psalm begins with a plea for divine intervention. A plea for divine intervention. Psalm 35 of David Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Here's prayer in times of danger and hostility. Prayer in the face of of danger and hostility. Contend has a legal connotation and fight has a a military sense. In other words, be my defense attorney, God, and be my mighty warrior. Bring a case against them and defend me. Wage war on my behalf and bring victory. Verse 3 shows us That David wants to know, he wants to be assured that God is, without a doubt, his salvation. Isn't that true for us as well? We are living in a hostile world. Now, for the better part of maybe decades, if not centuries, being a Christian in America... We're living in a hostile world. Are you kidding me? The church is esteemed. The church is looked up to. My friends, more and more we will see the reality that we see in Psalm 35 that we saw in John 15. The church, Christians, will be living in a hostile world. Christians and churches will be hated for no other reason Than their identification with Jesus Christ. And don't we want assurance in that world? Don't we want to know without a doubt that God, yes, God, is our salvation? Well, Psalm 35 does not end after verse 3. It could, of course. You see, Psalm 35 is not a one off prayer. One-off. Where did that expression come from? Well, just a few years ago, and often people use it. What does it mean? Something that's limited to a single time, a single occasion, or a single instance. Rather, it's not one-off. It's a portrait of persevering prayer in a hostile world, a world full of scheming and mobbing and gloating. Hostility both in time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, as well as hostility in direction from all sides, 360 degrees. And three times in Psalm 35, we see the psalmist present the same threefold pattern of bringing to God in prayer his dangerous situation, his desperate request, and his desired response. So let's look at verses 4 through 10 Prayer in response to the scheming, kind of a military uh, situation in particular. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon them when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you delivering the poor from him who who is too strong for him? the poor and the needy from him who robs him. So what is his dangerous situation? He's being besieged. He is up against scheming. Look at verse 4. Who devise evil against me. He's in the face of evil schemes. People are seeking after his life. They're devising, planning, tactics evil tactics against him. And he says twice that without net, without calls, a net has been hidden, and without calls, a pit has been dug to trap him, to hurt him, to, to destroy him. His situation is dangerous. And so he makes a desperate request. He says, fight for me. Fight for me. Let them be ashamed. Put them to shame and dishonor. May they be turned back and disappointed. May they be like chaff. May their way be dark and slippery. May they be driven away and pursued by an angel of the Lord. Interesting, that's a connection with Psalm 34 when we read the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And David the psalmist is picking up on that as well he wants them to be destroyed by their own devices he wants the boomerang effect of sin to be made known kids what does a boomerang do you throw it and where does it go it comes back to you and there's always a boomerang effect with sin it always comes back in one way or another on you And here he wants it to be absolutely clear that they are trapped by their own devices. This is not a vindictive response to some kind of personal injury. Uh, David is not hiring God as a personal injury attorney. No. It's an appeal to God based on faith in his promises. You saw earlier in Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He, he believes it. He trusts God. He, he, he trusts that God is the God who delivered his people out of Egypt with a mighty arm and destroyed the pursuing enemies. Did you all hear that in, in, in Exodus um, 15, that God is a man of war? I thought that was just a good name for a horse that wins the Kentucky Derby or a big street in Lexington, Man of War. I wonder how many people in Lexington know that Man of War is how God Himself is described. And what is His desired, His planned, His anticipated response? And we heard it in verses 9 and 10. He wants His soul to rejoice, to exult in His salvation. He wants all His bones, in other words, everything about Him, to say... Who is like you? He's looking forward to the joy and gratitude when this request is answered. This is an, indica- an instance of thanks in advance. Thanks in advance. I absolutely don't like the, the financial appeals letters that I get that have thanks in advance as if I'm going to give money so they're already thanking me. It sort of feels like I'm being put on the spot, right? Do you, do you guys like thanks in advance? Makes you sort of obligated, doesn't it? This isn't thanks in advance. This is, I'm going to thank you, God, because it's as sure as a done deal. When it happens, I will give thanks and I will, I will rejoice. And look again at verse 10. There's a question in there. Oh, Lord, who is like you. Delivering and rescuing the poor. It's a rhetorical question. It's for effect. He's going to answer his own question. Who is like the Lord? No one. Uh, Oh great God. That we sang. There is no other. He is the Lord. Now that's the first prayer cycle. We now move from a portrait of of, um, being besieged to one probably even harder to take of betrayal we, we move from pleading for military action so to speak to pleading for legal action uh, verses 11 through 18 prayer in response to the mobbing prayer in response to the mobbing uh, beginning in verse 11 excuse me, malicious witnesses rise up they ask me of things that I do not know they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejected and ga- rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. What's his dangerous situation? It's betrayal. It's mobbing. They gathered together against me, we see in verse 15. Malicious malicious witnesses asking questions. Look at verse 11. They ask me of things that I do not know. Now, friends, we've all been in those situations, haven't we? People ask us something, and maybe we really did it, but we don't want to admit it, Right? So we have a choice there. We admit, yes, we did it, or we deny and hide and hope it doesn't get revealed. But you know what? There's another situation. When someone says you did something, and guess what? You absolutely, without question, didn't didn't do it. Oh, what terror that is. What frustration, what anxiety, what fear, what worry... You guys have been accused of doing something that you didn't do, and by friends. Notice, these are friends of David. He had; they were repaying evil for good. You know, when they were suffering, when they were in trouble, what was he doing? Sackcloth, fasting, bowing, mourning. And when he's in difficulty, when he's in trouble, they're rejoicing. He's being repaid evil for good. But he did good to them. So what's his desperate request? It's not so much fight for me as was in the first third. It's it's contend for me. Rescue me from their destruction. My precious life. He says at the end of verse 17, my precious life. There was a rhetorical question in our first section. There's a real question in this section. Verse 17. How long? How long, O oh Lord, will you look on? In other words, God, how long will you look on and not take action? And you know what? He doesn't know the answer. How long? He doesn't know. And what is his desired, his planned, his anticipated response? Well, in verses 9 and 10, it was personal praise. Here, in verse 18, it's public praise. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. You see, we are called to praise God personally, as it were, in private, in the closet. No one sees us. We're also called to praise God publicly where people see us and know us. What a great place to praise God together in the church. That's what we're doing every week so that we, when we head back out into the hostile world, we know that God will come through with us, for us. When? We may not know but we know he will. So that's the second prayer cycle. And now we move from a situation when the psalmist sees himself as being betrayed to one where he sees himself as being belittled. And let's take a look at this third prayer cycle beginning in verse 19. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those who wink the eye who hate me without cause For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So here is prayer in response to the gloating. His dangerous situation. He's being belittled. They are gloating. They open wide their mouths against him. He is hated without cause. Verse 19, who hate me without cause. And that's the particular passage that Jesus picks up and uses in talking to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed. He's hated without cause by people who do not speak peace, but rather are deceitful. His request once again is desperate. He says, God, don't be silent. Be near me. Look at verse 21. It ends, Aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. And David immediately says, But you have seen, O Lord. They think they see. Oh, no, God, you see. Don't be silent. Stand up, wake up, be not far from me, be not far from me. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's an aspect of what's going on in the life of David here. Notice that people magnify themselves against him. They don't magnify the Lord. Remember Psalm 34? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Here, David is running up against people who magnify not the Lord, but themselves. And what's his desired, his planned, his anticipated response? In response to uncalled for and undeserved suffering, what is said? Look at verses 27 and 28. He wants others to, Who see his righteousness to to rejoice and to be glad. To say together, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. And then what does he say? My tongue will tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. There was personal praise. There was public praise. And now there is perpetual praise, unending praise. You know, deliverance has not yet come, but it's good as done because the psalmist knows that God is faithful to His promises. And kids, it's it's important to remind ourselves, with God, promises made are what? Promises kept. Absolutely. So a few minutes ago, we sang this psalm, didn't we? But who... Who's the real singer of this psalm? Now before we answer that question, think with me. David has come to the conclusion that the presence and power of God, the presence and power of God is far greater than the presence and power of his opponents, of the wicked, of his enemies. That's how David concludes God, they're powerful, but you're more powerful. They're present in my life, but you're more present in my life. Well, who who knew that more than anyone? Who's the one singer of this psalm? You know, we can sing this psalm up to a point, and we should. But there's only one person who can sing this psalm past that point to the end with absolute integrity, You see, Jesus sang this psalm. Jesus sings this psalm as king. You see, as king, Jesus subdues us to himself. He rules and defends us, and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. My friends, that's King Jesus, isn't it? Prophet, priest, and king. He's the king who conquers us, He's the king who rules us. He's the king who who defends us against all his and our enemies. So Jesus sings this psalm as king, but he also sings this psalm as judge. You see, not only is there a kind of a military side, there is a legal side. For those of you familiar with our Westminster Shorter Catechism, you know that effectual calling brings with it certain benefits. Benefits in this life, benefits at our death, and benefits at the resurrection or the return of Jesus. And so question 38 asks this question, What benefit do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And here's what is said among other things, that believers shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Did you hear that? That's what David is longing for. He is longing to be declared innocent of these accusations. He's longing to be declared not guilty He's longing for justice to be made known. Isn't that the cry of our hearts too? I want to be vindicated publicly, openly acknowledged and acquitted. And my friends, we've got that to look forward to. It's not the local court. It's not the state court. It's not the federal court. It's the Lord's court. And those who have faith in Christ will be openly acknowledged and acquitted, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess what that Jesus Christ is Lord. But interestingly, as this psalm really points out, David wasn't sinless. Our sin deserves cursing, and yet the cursing falls on the Savior who substitutes Himself for us. My friends, Jesus endured the hostility of the world, the hatred from the wicked for the salvation of His people. Jesus endured betrayal from a friend. Truly, our persevering prayer in a hostile world, our desperate prayer in a dangerous situation, has been answered. You see, God's Word and God's Spirit are saying to us now, through His Word, Jesus Christ is our salvation. It's the echo of verse 3. He is longing for God to say to His soul, I am your salvation. And God's word and spirit are saying to God's people right here, right now, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Not the works you do, not the comparison you are to others. Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection in our place, on our behalf. He is our salvation. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. We thank you for this passage that helps us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh God, help us this day to remember and reflect on all that Jesus endured from a hostile world in our place and on our behalf. We give you thanks, Father, for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.